0: Hello, this is futurist Gerd Leonhardt. These are my keynote speeches as podcasts.
1: Hello, 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 and hello all. And welcome to Gateway's webinar series, The World Has Changed. This is a series of virtual conversations for a large plethora of our digital community all over the world to engage with thought leaders who have a great deal of knowledge and novel body of work whose ideas can help us reflect and work through this very uncertain time with a sense of responsibility, compassion, and wisdom. We've now hosted over 152,000 attendees from around the world with our uh, uh, The World Has Changed series. And with these webinars, our aim is to bring thought leaders and doers from across the globe to our community at home. This session is streaming live on TEDxGateway's Facebook page, www.facebook.com forward slash TEDxGateway forward slash live, and we'll be taking questions from the comments section as well. I'm so delighted to have with us our speaker today, Gerd Leonhard. I've known Gerd for many years and have always had a fantastic respect for him and his deep knowledge of the future and also his practical understanding of where things are going, what things are doing, and how the world is changing. Some would say in a negative way, some would say in a positive way. Let's hear what Gerd has to say when he speaks to us. So for today's session, we have with us, Mr. Gerd Leonhard, who's coming to us uh, from Switzerland, or maybe somewhere else, but maybe Switzerland, And Gerd is a futurist. He's a humanist. He's an author. He's a filmmaker, a keynote speaker, and also the chief executive officer of the Futures Agency in Zurich, in Switzerland. And um, uh, Gerd's uh, motto uh, for the past two decades has pretty much been: people, planet, purpose, and prosperity. Gerd has risen to one of the top. 10 futurist keynote speakers in the world, very, very prominent, highly respected, highly regarded, and with over 2,000 engagements in 60-plus countries since 2002 and a combined audience of of over 2.5 million people, Gerd has been listed by Wired magazine as one of the top 100 most influential people in Europe and as one of the leading media futurists in the world by the Wall Street Journal. Gerd focuses on the intersections of humanity, science and technology, business and culture, and he promotes sustainable human-centric values and emphasizes the importance of foresight, future-ready leadership, and resilience in the face of uncertainty. His acclaimed keynotes, both live and virtual, are renowned for their very hard-hitting and provocative style. They're inspiring, he's humorous, They're motivational and always very personal. Gerd always uses cutting-edge creative motion design and immersive backdrops, and his performances, both in person and for online events, have pretty much reinvented the very definition of presentation. And of course, Gerd is also the author of five highly acclaimed books, Touching the Future, including Technology versus Humanity in 2016, and he's also the producer of five films about the future, including www.thegoodfuturefilm.com. I'll repeat that, www.thegoodfuturefilm.com. So, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls all over the world, a warm welcome. And let us welcome specially the futurist, Gerd Leonhard.
0: Greetings and namaste. I'm Garrett Leonhard, futurist in Zurich, Switzerland. It's my great pleasure to contribute a talk to you guys today at TEDx Gateway about the future, why and how the future is better than we think. I know it seems like a stretch to say that today, right? As we're just heading out of the COVID crisis, hopefully a kind of a rebound. Everything around us is being shaken up, whether it's monetary policy or inflation or governments or energy policy or, of course, working from home, work policy, social policy. I mean, it's safe to say the next 10 years are going to bring more changes than pretty much any time before. A hundred years before, I usually say, yeah? as essentially every business is being redone upside down, not just because of COVID, but because of all of the advances that are happening all around us, all of the changes of technology. We're looking at essentially new paradigms, new priorities, new narratives, new people new skills, and that's happening all around us. Look at what happened in Germany, for example, with the switch from the Merkel government to the new government, completely different course. And now with the war in the Ukraine, the first time that Germany is going to put a lot more money into the military, all happening within a few days. eh? Basically, we're in permanent VUCA, volatility, uncertainty, complexity and ambiguity. And that is not going to change. Now, as people are looking at me and saying, what are you talking about? The future is going to be good, the good future, the future better than we think. No, it's really the other way around. You got it wrong because we're looking at things like the war, of course, a very, very big burden on all of our souls and and realities right now. And, of course, climate change, an unsolved problem that we are tackling quickly. I happen to think that COVID-19 was a test run for climate change. But, yes, very, very big uh, challenge for us a hundred trillion dollar change paradigm. The inequality issue, you know, making life more collectively good, especially in the US and uh, in the UK, and I think to some degree also in India. And of course, the question of dominating technology, where technology is essentially dominating our lives. And, and artificial intelligence seems to be like the the ticket to the future uh, that many of us cannot participate in very easily and jobs are changing or some jobs will go away forever because machines are no longer stupid and that means a huge shift in education. It doesn't mean the end of work for us, but it does mean fundamental shift. So if you take this all together and you put them all together in a row, a lot of people, especially kids, well, compared to me, right, say roughly 18 to 35, you know, they, they don't think the future is going to be good. Look at this statistic here. Part of that is also in India so and then Brazil, right? Basically, our family's security is threatened, humanity is doomed, we have destroyed the world, and we're not doing enough about it. That seems to be 16 to 25-year-olds, as you can see here on the top, are saying this, and then we have charts like this shown that many people around the world are saying that basically automation will take work from humans, especially here in South Africa, right? And, uh, and Greece and other countries, but very, very big difference. I wonder what that would be like for India. But a lot of people are worried about this, right? Our machine's gonna drive, they're going to manufacture for us, they're going to fly airplanes, they're going to serve us at home, take care of our old people. Despite of all of this, I think the future is better than we think. Better than you think. I don't know what you're thinking, but it's better than we think, right? I, I think really this is an important statement because when we bring it all together, let's look at the arguments, why that is the case, right? And so last year I made a movie about this called The Good Future because I got tired of the bad future, you know, Black Mirror and everything else and Transcendence and, and um, X Machina and everything that we see humans. You probably know those TV shows. If you all know about the future, don't watch these. They're just entertainment, right? So, on the good future, there's three tickets to that good future, and that's very important, especially in your country, to remember. First, of course, digitization, technology. That's clearly a ticket to the future. We all know that, we all practice it. There's nothing new. But decarbonization, completely going green, making everything circular, sustainable, that is the number one thing to do in the next 10 years, and even, of course, after that, in 20 years, maybe we can even roll back climate change uh, through carbon sequestration and sucking the carbon out of the air. And the biggest challenge, really, is reformation economic, logical, human, societal reformation that says maybe we don't have to work 12 hours a day if machines can do the work, maybe we have to distribute income better, maybe we have to fix media, maybe we have to collaborate better to deal with future pandemics, very, very big discussion about the future of capitalism, sustainable capitalism, as Al Gore has said. All these things are much bigger hurdles, of course, than the other two. Uh, to the potential good future. Let's talk about digitization first. I mean, clearly, this is the ticket since COVID. Everything has gone digital. Everybody's working from home, usually more than before. And prices are falling, right? Human genome sequencing falling rapidly, which means all of us can have the DNA sequence, which I think will be God's hand in the future for dealing with diseases. And computational algorithms and quantum computing is is, uh, in the wings, right? So we're talking about powerful computers, powerful diagnostics, powerful ways of solving diseases and all that stuff is basically in this nutshell slide here right exponential cost reduction pretty much across the board whether it's uh, uh, panels for solar whether it's uh, battery uh, storage whether it's genome sequencing i mean we're talking about abundance here we're talking about the possibility of creating new logic where technology gets cheaper and cheaper even in so-called developing countries that is true that's good news But, of course, there is such a thing as too much technology. And and the answer, of course, to the technology challenge is, yes, we can. If you want to upload your brain to the Internet, you can probably do that in 10 years. But this is the key question, and I think it's a crucial question for India. You will have all the tools of science and technology, but will you have the telos? The telos is the understanding, the purpose, the wisdom. Because, you know, 10 years, technology is basically unlimited. We can do anything we want then we have to decide what do we want and how we're going to distribute the collective benefit. Right now what you're seeing is a a benefit of technology brings productivity up, but the wages are staying the same in many countries and actually less work. So we have to think about economic restructuring there, right? This is the most important thing about the TELOS. For example, in the car industry, you can clearly see, yes, we can solve the problem of sustainable transportation. This was what I showed last year at IAA, all of the initiatives. That are about mobility. It's no longer about cars, it's about mobility. Right? Think about the shift that we have to undertake on so many levels. And it's also quite clear that in a way science fiction is becoming science fact. What used to be theory 3D printing, right, and basically in 10 years we're going to have a hard time explaining how and why we ever lived without a 3D printer. That prints our shoes and our, you know, our, our orthodontic uh, uh, things that we need, or even our earlobes or our kneecaps. caps. Right? I mean, this is around the corner. It's been I've talked about for a long time, but it's finally here. And climate technology innovation is here in such a way where you can safely say this is the next big unicorn scenario, right?
1: and
0: essentially the next 100, 200 unicorns will be in climate technology. Larry Fink said from. BlackRock Ventures. And I think this is the biggest opportunity in our lifetime to create a new business and to replenish the, the, the planet. So we need to put a lot of resources into this and a lot of shifting of funding. And a lot of energy has to go into this when we talk about decarbonization, which is to get rid of fossil fuel. And this is actually palatable everywhere now. Like I said earlier, COVID-19 is a test run for climate change. And yes, the next 10 years will bring more change than the previous 100 years, because if we go exponential, we, we don't go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, which will get us 30 steps across the room or the hallway. 30 steps exponential, 26 times around the world. Right? And we're at four now, we're in leaping it mode. Four, eight, 16, 32, 10 years, 256, and even faster than that, right? So, the change is going to be fundamental. You have to understand this, especially when you have kids, when you're running large companies, what it means for the pace of change, right? Like in the fossil fuel economy, we're seeing this huge change already with energy, with protein, with transportation, with investing. The numbers are astounding, right? How quickly this it is changing. And think about years ago when, we, you know, if you want to listen to music, you have to go to a concert or maybe a tape or maybe even a CD, right? And these days you push a button somewhere on, yeah, a mobile phone. And it's basically exponential change, new business models, mind-boggling differences. For example, when we think about food and agriculture, it's quite clear we're going to have cultured meat from the lab. And it sounds crazy, but I t- I tasted it. It's not bad. It's entirely workable, too expensive, right? This is what's happening. We're going to be able to provide protein for everybody for a fraction of the cost. Bill Gates and Richard Branson are investors, and this goes along with vertical farming, which is a concept of having large farms and high rises. Think about that for India. That is coming way too expensive right now. But automation together with um, big data and artificial intelligence will open the door to this kind of scenario of the future. Basically, organic vegetables grown in a high rise, distributed locally. Yeah, it sounds like a crazy idea, but it's happening, it's coming and that means for global meat consumption, for example, we can have alternatives now, like I said earlier, cultured meat, novel vegan meat replacement, you see here, chicken burger from Memphis Meats, that's already in the stores in the US and many other places that it's actually done from cultivated animal cells rather than actual animals. So, really big principle, very important to remember, we're going from scarcity to abundance. Uh, abundant food, abundant energy is coming, abundant possibilities. What is not abundant is the wisdom, and we have to work on that. This is the number one ticket for us. If we want a good future, we have to think about collaboration. We have to think about what we want. We have to think about governance. We have to think about how we make this a reality. Put the, storm, the tombstone on the fossil fuel industry. And this is happening all around us. Coal is already more expensive than solar. And the numbers are clear. Look at the solar panels going towards zero again. And battery costs falling. And, of course, the cost of electric vehicles. Very soon, in a couple of years, we'll be going 1,000 kilometers or even 2,000. And the vehicle will be the co- one-third of the cost of another vehicle. And we will have eventually nuclear fusion energy, which is maybe 10 years away. Some people say five years, maybe other 15 years. But it's coming, eh? energy abundance. Think about this, right? The next one is reformation. How do we change society so that we have a collective benefit? How do we look at a new logic that goes beyond profit and growth, which is pretty much killing us, as you can say, uh, as you can see all around us. I mean, we're looking at basically the four revolutions that you already know, agricultural 1500 years, industrial 150 years, the digital revolution, and the sustainability revolution. That is what's happening right now. Big blue, technology, big green. Green is the new digital. Right, think about this for a second, because that is why the future is going to be much better than we think, because we have the ticket for this. Right? The biggest challenge that we have for that good future is the reformation. Now, how do we create a society that is well-governed, where democracy can thrive, where our basic principles can thrive? This is going to be crucial to the process of building a good world, going beyond the profit and growth Good old Milton Friedman scenario. This is not working, and it has worked kind of, but now it's given us this, right? Rapid, rapid global temperature anomalies, and of course storms and the rise of CO2. We've seen that story. It is the worst slide or the best, you could say. Rapid increase in stock market values, little in human values, and none in environmental values going towards zero. How can we live in a world where we have a lot more money, at least some of us, and the world, is uh, their system collapsed, right? It doesn't make any sense. So now, the switch is apparent, especially also when we look at AI. You know, artificial intelligence has the key to provide a lot more enterprise power, make things faster and cheaper, but we're still going to need governance and to figure out what humans will be doing when everything is done by AI and how to control them. So the paradigm of the future cannot be profit and growth anymore. And 20 years ago, Elgerton talked about people, planet, and profit. And now I'm talking about people, planet, purpose and prosperity. I like the word prosperity much better. You can touch it better and it feels better rather than just profit, which seems you know very old fashioned. But purpose, right? Why are we doing this? Where is it going? What kind of future do we want? That is about purpose. And of course, purpose in the wider sense for human is usually happiness of a sort, right? But basically, we're looking at this future that's already all around us, the four P's, whether it's the stakeholder alliance, whether it's uh, the investment in renewable energy, uh, whether it's all the new laws that are coming in with taxation, and whether it's in the conflict with Russia and Ukraine. We're seeing a larger story unfold here. Nobody can be by themselves anymore. We all need to come together in one way or another. And we're seeing this all around us as a new reality that's also kind of tough to realize. The good future is this kind of moving target, people, planet, purpose, and prosperity. And this is why I believe That we can indeed have a good future. Because clearly what's happening now is we're seeing this old chapters are closing, whether it's the car industry, the farm industry, the food industry, and of course international relations. Business as usual is dead or dying. And we've got to get used to it. There's a new business to be done. Business as usual, yeah, that is kind of a ticket to the end. And and, uh, we need to really look at what this means for us. For example, as I mentioned earlier, the new narratives include more women more minorities. Look at New Zealand. Look at Taiwan. I look at uh, Scandinavia. I look at Germany where the second in command really is a, a very young woman from the Green Party, right? But in all countries that is going to be crucial to bring women back and forth because now the unthinkable is the new normal, right? Unthinkable that we would have all this rapid change like carbon tax. We're gonna see a lot more carbon tax for flying an airplane, for eating meat, for doing pretty much anything. Unthinkable is the new normal. That's the new paradigm perpetual perma crisis and perma opportunity. I see a great ticketing for us unfolding, new doors opening, new things happening. For example, the idea of a dividend of digital media, like on social media, getting media right and paying people for being part of it and finding a way of not having it to destroy democracy, whether that's Twitter or Facebook or anybody else, and actually paying people the benefit of technology. That would be an automation tax, for example. Right? Taxes are not the answer for everything, and nobody likes taxes. But we've got to think about this. You know? Are we going to build a system that is fair and equal? Reformation means working on our tellers, on our understanding, the good old Greek word, right? And the purpose, the goal, the wisdom. That's what it means. Four points on this. The four Ps, clearly that is the, the ultimate sort of uh, doctrine, and what I sometimes call the future principle, collaboration. We're not going to see a future at all without collaboration. Uh, what, food to security, uh, space travel, all of that is about collaborative efforts. And part of that is going to be about protecting what makes us human and saying technology shouldn't be doing this. Maybe we shouldn't be uploading our brain or escaping into the metaverse just because it's available. And that is the first question that comes up everywhere. Digital ethics I talk about a lot in the past few years. But now I'm proposing what I call the Humanity Futures Council, a global council of wise people who think about the future of humanity. I think India would take a very prominent slot in this. Right. So as new doors are opening, old ones, old ones are closing, I see only really positive things that are becoming possible, painful positive things then. And as Barbara Hubbard said, she was a disciple of Buckminster Fuller, famous, famous futurist, as we see the future, so we act. As we act, so we become. If you see the future as bad and as not having possibility, you will create that future. It's very important to think of the future as better than we currently are envisioning it. And and to stop watching things that tell us that the future is bad as social media likes to tell us and many other things around us keep whispering in our ear. Let's stop asking the question about what will the future bring as if it was fixed. You know, as China or, uh, or, or, or America bring in the future. It's not about that. The key question is, what do we want our future to be? What kind of future do you want for your kids? Do you want that to be a good future? Then you have to manifest it. You have to build it. You have to believe it's possible. I really believe the future is fundamentally better than we think. We just have to make the right decisions today. I want to thank you very much for listening to me and for your kind attention and I wish you a great TEDx gateway and I look forward to seeing in the future. Live long and prosper.
1: Well, thank you very, very much, Gerd. I must say that was really compelling and some of the ideas that you've brought about are really uh, something that gives us uh, a very good uh, uh, meat to talk about, even though we're in a vegan world, this is the meat of conversation rather than the meat of food. So, Gerd, the first question I wanted to ask you is, why and how do you think that the future is better than we think?
0: Well, you know, it, I, I tried to outline in my talk you know, the, this concept that people have a negative view of the future uh, all over the world for obvious reasons, you know, COVID, Ukraine, Russia, war, automation, AI, Hollywood. right? And so I believe that the reality is actually the other way around. It's like It seems like everything that we're looking at in practical terms, we're, we're about to fix. So we're going to reinvent energy, right? And there's going to be nuclear fusion. Uh, that's you know five to 10 years away, if I'm being hopeful. But of course, solar energy and many others, we're reinventing uh, healthcare and the life sciences by using different technologies. I mean, we're, we're, we're just about every week, there's a major breakthrough, right? Uh, what we're stuck with right now, and this is why I think the future is better than we think with an if, right? Is that we, need, we have to learn how to collaborate, right? So the future can be better because we will have all the tools and all the science, and we're very busy inventing everything, right? Uh, so next 10 years, but we also have to learn how to collaborate, how to set priorities, how to keep dangerous thing in check, like of course the arms race, artificial intelligence, genetic engineering, right? We basically have to make sure that everything is agreed upon what, to, what we want, right? So I really believe that humans have the ability to, be, to do good things. I, I don't, I'm not uh, in, in the camp of people saying that humans can't get anything right. Uh, I would rather be with Winston Churchill who said that about Americans. You can always trust Americans to do the right thing after they try everything else. And I would say the same thing about humans, you know, we, we eventually do get it together, like we did with nuclear weapons. You know, we, it took 15 years, but we got it together. And I think we definitely have it in our hand to create a very powerful, good, positive future uh, in, in, the, in the wider sense, you know, what in the wider sense of like the Maslow Pyramid, that kind of good, right? Uh, getting the first four steps of Maslow.
1: So, Gerd, you know, uh, this is coming uh, from India to the rest of the world. And, of course, India has always uh, been very much uh, at the forefront of interesting developments. They've uh, developed a space program. They have made great progress in at least uh, helping to uh, lower very much the COVID threat in India. And, of course, uh, the uh, digital world and the whole world of... uh, Cyber is uh, very important in India, but I've noticed that there are three particular pointers that you've always liked to concentrate on, and I'd love you to talk about them if you would. Number one is digitization, number two is decarbonization, and number three is reformation or reformation. Just give us a sense of what you mean by those three points. Well, you know, it it
0: has evolved over the last two years as what we jokingly call the DDR, which is like the former East Germany, if you speak German, right? (laughs) But that's the digitization, decarbonization reformation. And basically what it means is that technology is now at the point where we can fix most practical things. You know, we have 5G to communicate. The prices are going towards zero. Basically, it's exponential price decrease in all technological aspects whether it's online hosting, whether it's 5G, whether it's mobile phones, except for maybe iPhones. Uh, uh, If it's the speed on the internet, I mean, everything is getting, becoming available. There's 4.9 billion people on the internet now. And in eight years, 2030, we're going to have roughly 9 billion. So digitization of everything is a driving force to make things faster, more efficient, more equal, if we do it in the right way, of course, right? And make things more accessible. The flip side of digitization is that if we do it wrong, we do a lot of damage, like in social media, right? So, digitization is not a solution by itself. It has to be paired up with the human understanding of what it's supposed to be doing, right? Uh, And keeping the human in the loop, you know, what we have now is extreme digitization, which means that people are, you know, addicted to their mobile phones or to virtual reality or, you know, or, or of course to social media, right? So... Digitalization is sort of there, and everybody's doing it, and we're going to get it together. The second one, decarbonization, is is the biggest shift in, in our lifetime, going back to 100 years ago, uh, 20 years from now, is the shift to out of the fossil fuel economy. And for India, this is huge. Right. So shifting away from coal to solar and renewable energies, and eventually next generation fusion, nuclear fusion, will create energy abundance that's roughly 10, 12, 15 years away, you know, to point where we can basically have uh, abundant energy. We have a shortcut right now. We have a shortcoming uh, and, and as far as energy is concerned, obviously right now, right? But for India, this is a very, very big deal. And I believe that developing countries need to help India and also other countries like Brazil to get to that next level of getting rid of coal. And that's gonna take quite a bit of support. But basically, the entire world is going to turn around in the next 20 years, away from fossil fuel. It's not going to be great business anymore. We're going to transition to renewable energy, right? And that third point is the biggest, which means reforming our society to get rid of this self-destructive obsession of profit and growth. You know, uh, to focus only on one thing. I think there's nothing wrong with profit and growth, but if we focus only on it, It becomes self-destructive, as we've seen in the last 10 years. It basically takes all the resources but puts nothing back. (laughs) And and eventually, it's only the top 10% who benefit. Everybody else is suffering. And we've seen that in the COVID crisis. So we need to move away into what Al Gore calls sustainable capitalism. That's what I call the Reformation. We need to have stock markets that actually award nature-positive behavior. You know, people, planet, purpose, prosperity, right? Uh, And not just making money. So that's kind of the tallest order, right? So I always say that big blue technology and big green, they're here, they're coming, we're on it, we're going to get that done. What takes the most time, especially in India, I think, is to reform society to create different values that make different things possible, like shifting money into new sources, right? and creating more equality. And so those are policy and political issues that technology doesn't
1: fix. You know, Gerd, you'd mentioned uh, uh, former Vice President Al Gore. Uh, I was privileged to see Al Gore in uh, Canada just last week. And Al Gore was saying that the biggest problem we have right now is that we have to solve the democracy crisis. What do you think of that?
0: Yes, totally agree with that. I think what we have right now is a a crisis of media that has brought about the democracy crisis. Basically, what media has done is to emphasize the fragments and the polarization, because now we no longer have humans doing the media. I mean, even then we had fragmentation. But, but now we have basically an artificial intelligence. Facebook is the biggest media company in the world. And what are they giving us? They're giving us noise and dissatisfaction and illusions like Instagram. Right? And I think the biggest problem there is that we haven't put enough money back into democracy, you know, to explain to people that you know democracy isn't a, isn't a state of, of affairs; it's a progress. It's something that all of us have to do things for, right? Uh, and and so we've let it we've let it slide in so many ways. I think that we really need to put more emphasis and to make the things more commonly available uh, in a humanized environment. And you know, Elon Musk wants to redo Twitter. I'm hoping he will redo it in that direction. But I'm convinced that if Facebook doesn't solve this problem of uh, amplifying the negative, uh, it'll be gone
1: before too long. Well, here's another thing. You mentioned digitization as one of the three elements. What do you think is not working right now with digitization?
0: Well, you know, there is such a problem with technology as it is with other things that we like to do. I call it the too much of a good thing problem. So too much of a good thing can be a very bad thing. And that's really true for smoking, for cigarettes, for alcohol, for everything. We don't outlaw everything. We don't outlaw uh, drinking coffee or eating, right? But if you eat all day long, whatever you can find, you die, right? Uh, and I think, I think it's the same for technology. When we use technology to the extent to where it destroys us, because all we do is connect with fake worlds on the on the screen, right? then we 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 lose who we are. Uh, and this is only at the beginning. I uh, just imagine a world where where it's not just this, you know that we're believing in. Uh, but it's a virtual reality here on my glasses, right? And I can be superhuman. And imagine the addiction and imagine the confusion. right? So we need to be very careful with the metaverse and those kind of ideas, because in the end, technology is a tool. You know it's like it's like when you build a house, you have a hammer. Uh, then then you're not in love with a hammer. You may be in love with the house, uh, but not with a hammer. You know, it's just a tool. And so we do have to make sure we have guidelines, we have safety, we have public thinking, we have collective benefit, we have control. And currently, we don't really have that. It's becoming a major issue.
1: Uh, when you've spoken about decarbonization, of course, there's been incredible progress made with solar and the cost of providing... Uh, Megawatts of electricity has certainly come down. So, that obviously is a very good and optimistic sign and ties in with you seeing uh, an optimistic future that is continuing to grow. But uh, in terms of reforming things, we seem to be tussling between the democratic world and the authoritarian world. I mean, if you look at Brazil, you look at what's going on certainly in Russia at the moment, not a very good sign there. But the broad majority of countries where there are democratic uh, uh, rules and processes in place, there is a wider voice for people to be able to have their voice heard and also for governments to be called to account. What do you think of that?
0: Well, you know, first on the decarbonization, I think I'm, I'm so hopeful on the green, what I call the green future, right? Because it's becoming a huge business. Uh, people are spending huge money on it. People are diversifying from coal and oil and gas into green. Uh, solar is now cheaper than coal, officially, in India. Been for, for quite some time, right? And I think we're going to get this done. The only real bad thing is that for the next 20 years, we have to deal with what we already made. You know, the, 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 and, and that's basically, we're going to have to really eat it there, right? And, and there's going to be a lot of suffering. But But in 20 years, I think we can go back and we can actually redo the planet as far as CO2 is concerned, and uh, as far as nature is concerned, and rewilding it. Uh, I think we're going to see large stretches of countries being declared natural territories to rewild the planet. You know, to, That's all going to happen. And I think that's all in the right direction. Uh, on the political thing of the Reformation, it kind of seems like right now the autocrats are faring well. But if you look underneath, that's actually not true. You know, and if um, I mean, you can make exceptions there, but for example, what happened in Russia now is quite clear. We've learned the lesson that even the biggest autocrat and the oldest autocrat and the most uh, the most ingrained uh, situation, right, entrenched situation, uh, you can't just do what you want to do. I mean, it's all connected, right? And and now is it's completely sanctioned. It's cut off from everybody else. Nobody wants to be in touch with what, what's happening in Russia and, and, and contemplate supporting it anymore. Uh, and he's not winning, right? Whether uh, he's uh, well, losing the war is a different story, but overall he's not winning. And I think this shows that we're moving towards what I call the global consciousness, which means no matter where you are, what, whatever crazy person you may be, there is global rules that are being enforced. And that includes not just military, but also artificial intelligence and science. Like, look what happened to the CRISPR doctor in China, right? He didn't get famous; he he went to jail. You know, the guy who did the right. So I, I think you know really what's happening. If we're looking at autocratic movements, uh, Bolsonaro will not survive this year in Brazil, is my view. After the tracking record of the last couple of years, uh, that definitely not been a good thing. So. Maybe the rule is kind of, it will probably get worse before it gets better, right? Uh, But the worst part will be, in my view, 12 to 18 months before we transition into the next decade of uh, younger, female, and diverse leaders as we have in New Zealand and in Taiwan and in Scandinavia and uh, Honduras, Colombia, and other places like that. And Chile, right?
1: Actually. What's interesting is just looking closer to India, just looking at what's going on right now in Sri Lanka, where you've got uh, an authoritarian prime minister, an authoritarian president, you've got people that cannot get medicine, that cannot get food, and uh, the country is in real crisis where people literally do not have enough food to eat, and clearly that is going to ferment the demand for change from from the people. Uh, just very interesting, close to home. And fortunately, India is not in that kind of position at all. And uh, similarly, the the rest of Europe, there are some territories where this is happening, but it's not widespread. You know,
0: I have great hopes for India uh, as far as the future is concerned. In my point of view, uh, we're we're starting to shift in Europe a little bit to where we're more open for the future. Right? But the conversation about the future, where is that happening? Of course, in the US, that that they're obsessed with the future. But also Brazil, you know, and India. And I think there's been a big bump in the road now where, you know, because of COVID because of everything else, it's been kind of backlogged, right? But this will all be unlocked in the next twelve to eighteen months. And we're looking at a very turbulent and fast moving and kind of chaotic, but also kind of potential golden era starting next year. You know, that could really make a very big change around the world, how we do things. My view is that, you know, the, the industrialized countries, the Western countries, must absolutely support and pay for the shift to the green future in the countries that are still stuck on the other future, <laughs> right? Uh, there's just no way around that. Uh, and I think we have to embrace that and we have to move forward together to achieve this goal.
1: And do you think that we as a collective world, whether it's the United Nations or, or, or the collective communities around the world, have the wisdom to be able to see this? I mean, obviously, we see seeing now with decarbonization and the greening of the planet, things are better than they were 10 years ago. But where do, do you, can you see any particular uh, individuals that really do lead on the question of wisdom?
0: you know i think this is something that's a little bit lacking at this time uh, global leadership has been a little bit slower than national leadership you know to uh, if you look for example again yzinder or new zealand this kind of leader on the global level that would be fantastic right uh, but on the on the positive side you know we are actually here in europe we're becoming the united states of europe Right? And, and it's painful, and nobody really knows how exactly that will play out. But, you know, I live in Switzerland, but I am from Germany. Uh, and, and this is becoming a reality. And and basically, we either get together and solve our common problems and find together the good future, or it slides out in roughly 30 to 40 years for us. Uh, I think that reality is starting to really... If you have kids, you got to think about that, right? Uh, what kind of future do you want your kids to have? So. I see a lot of great progress in individual countries, uh, especially in Scandinavia. I have great hope for Brazil. I see also a new renaissance in America. Um, I'm quite hopeful on that, I think. Uh, The UK, I'm a little bit lost on what what exactly is gonna happen there. But but, uh, I think this is a fantastic opportunity for us to put the reset button and say, okay, it's really about global collaboration, not necessarily globalism. That global collaboration to solve our common problems and to design our common future.
1: So, Gerd, could you give us maybe some tips if you were to be advising, let us say, uh, a group of 50 or 60 prime ministers and presidents on the kind of future that we want, with all of your experience over the years in looking at what drives a positive, harmonious, and uh, socially profitable future, are there any particular pointers that you, as a futurist, could suggest is something that either politicians or leaders should take note of?
0: Yes, you know, I, I always talk about uh, the need to define the good future. What is good, right? What What is a good future, right? And we should start there. And, you know, I've done a lot of work when I made my film last year, The Good Future, Um I've done a lot of work at looking at talking to people about what the good future is, right? And I think if we if we just focus on the bottom line of what good is, it's 98% of the world agrees on what good is, right? And that is having food, having the right for family, having some kind of personal freedom, having the right to grow, having the right to learn, you know, basic Maslow pyramid, right? The lowest, the, the lowest three, right? Uh, If it's about self-expression or how rich you're going to be, that's different. So I would focus on the bottom line of that pyramid and say, that defines good for us. Education, freedom, uh, the right to work, the right to self-express to some degree, right? And and to provide that, I think that is where it all starts. And this is why I think we we need to uh, look at technology to solve our practical problems. But we shouldn't look to technology to solve our human problems, like whether we agree on laws or regulation and those kind of things. The other thing is when I talk to leaders, it's important to realize we're not going to imagine or envision the future by having a logical kind of spreadsheet approach, right? There's no such thing, right? (laughs) right? I mean, if you're a scientist, then, of course, maybe you would disagree. But basically, the future is not just logic. You know, there is an intuition aspect to it, right? and basically you need to understand the future like you understand your kids which is not just with logic you know it's it's much wider than that right and the other important part is to not go forward to the future but to come back from the future so the big the biggest thing you can do as a leader is to say okay let me find out what's going to ha- what what is happening 5 to 10 years from now not more and then when i when i understand what's likely to happen i come back to today and I try to put it into the right direction. So if I know, for example, that artificially intelligent machines are going to automate 60% of the employment force, if I believe that to be true, I come back from the future with that learning,
1: right,
0: and I I take action today. Not the other way around, you know, from today, uh, basically uh, elongating into the future.
1: So, again, here's something for you. When you say you should look at the future five to ten years from now, It's only 23 years ago that Google was started. I think Facebook is probably just 15 years old. And Mm -hmm. just in terms of the fast speed of digitization and what we've experienced, even three years seems to be a long way in the future. How do we know what Mm -hmm. is going to be happening in five years' time? We've got a pretty good guideline as to where we think things could be going. But when you're examining the future, what do you usually take as your yardstick for what is realistically measurable in the future. Is it three years? Is it five years? Can you go to 10 years? Because even in 10 years' time, let's take a look, for example, at self-driving cars. The general prediction is that within the next 10 years, we should see enormous progress in that whole area of self-driving vehicles. What do you think of that?
0: Well, you know, my approach to the future is not about prediction. Uh, It's about foresight, right? And foresight is not, in my view, an academic... Process. There's lots of academic pieces to it, right? But basically, I develop I develop intuition uh, and imagination about, and then I feel certain that this will happen. So, in 1999, as you as you know, we were both in the music business, and we said in 1999, music is going to move to the cloud, right? And the late the labels were hating us, uh, and then I wrote a book about it, and and they still hated me even more. And and uh, and then, and then uh, you know, um, Daniel Ek comes up from Spotify and, and he puts it in the cloud, right? And this is what we have today. It wasn't hard to see. But uh, the thing is that you have to be observant, you have to be open, and you have to question your assumptions. Right? So if if you're a government leader or a business leader, you have to question your assumption. And like in the music business, the assumption was music goes in the cloud, we're not going to make any money. Right? And it turns out Totally wrong assumption, right? <laughs> Turns out. So I think this is the most important part as we understand the future is to develop a feel for it, right? And to uh, and to be able to say, you know, I like I can sit here right now and say, look, it's the end of oil and gas, never mind coal, even before that, in the next decade. Right?
1: That's just the feeling that I have. And um, are you seeing signs that the feelings that you have are actually on the right pathway. And we've spoken about uh, the change in transportation. We've spoken about the change in uh, the reduction of fossil fuels and obviously looking at new ways to provide power. And of course, this conflict at the moment between Ukraine and Russia, leading Europe to cut back on the use of Russian uh, gas, obviously means a realignment of the way that the world gets and finds its... uh, its uh, energy sources. Um, are there any other particular areas where you are seeing the global conscience of this new thinking really taking shape?
0: Well, you know, there's always that sort of uh, the gray swans event. You know, I call them the gray swans, not the whites or black, because 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 they're already known. You know, we knew there was going to be a pandemic. We knew what was happening with Putin. We just didn't look, Yeah. Uh, and, and so these are not unknowns, they're just popping up all of a sudden. So this kind of human events, they always come in and throw a monkey wrench into everything, right? Uh, and that, that will keep happening. But apart from that, we can pretty much look at this timeline. We can say, okay, in 10 years, uh, we're going to have a hard time explaining to our kids how we made the world work without a 3D printer, right? Like, like I mean, that's, that's completely obvious. Right? And in 20 years, we're gonna have abundant energy like we have abundant music today, right? Uh, and it's not hard to see that, right? And we're gonna have supercomputing, which means I can crack any code and do any transaction here from my wristwatch in a flash of a second, you know? Uh, and that's gonna change our entire world with our biomes, our genome. I mean, it's, it's powerful stuff, right? And so I think these are the things that we can see. And then the question is, what does it mean, right? <laughs> And And how do I yeah you know.
1: are you saying that we're going to see, for example, huge improvements and advances in quantum computing that in turn will speed up the whole notion of computer, computer power?
0: Absolutely, in every possible way, and I, this is the, this is the ticket to big green, right? I always say green is the new digital, you know, because basically what's happening is, right? Basically, what's happening is that that uh, quantum computing in general will enable us to make everything faster and more efficient, which means less pollution, right? Uh, and less everything, and that's all good, except for that we can always we can also use it to make surveillance on everybody, right? Uh, which we don't want, right? So basically, this is the balance that we have to keep. That's where we need the wisdom. Uh, And I always say we need a global council. You know, think of the uh, ancient Greece, right? We need a global council of people who do nothing else but to ponder these really important issues.
1: The United Nations is not that global council in the way that you are, are, are determining it?
0: You know, I think they do a lot of good work, as is the World Economic Forum, Right. That's not really what I mean. I, I'm, th- I'm thinking more about philosophers in the practical sense, uh, not necessarily uh, the people who actually do the contracts and the negotiation, you know, but who have who, who do the framework, you know. So, I mean, we're going to have some really tough decisions to make. Like, for example, what are we going to do about the arms race of artificial intelligence, you know, to build thinking machines? You know, is, is there going to... Yeah, and, and is it going to be like the nuclear arms race where we have a treaty, right? If we don't have a treaty, are we going to wait for an, uh, an AI Hiroshima, right? Basically, right? We don't want that. <laughs> so that's, that's one of the top concerns I have.
1: So, Gerd, here's something I'd like to ask you to give us just a short response to. I'm going to give you four categories. And if you could give us perhaps your idea of an example of where things are potentially going to improve. So the first is people. How can we improve people? Well, I think the,
0: the biggest way to improve people right now is to not just provide access to digital means to them, but also real voices uh, on democracy and real curated human content, you know? What we've done in the last decade is we've automated everything. And it turns out automation of everything isn't always the best choice. It's the best choice for the factory, maybe, but it's not the best choice for media. <laughs> so, you know, to... You know, to have to have people meet people requires different kinds of platforms. It 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 requires a human approach to media, right? and that's really what media is all about.
1: Would you say that uh, the uh, the objective of having lifelong education is also something that would enhance people in the future?
0: Yeah, I was going to say the biggest factor there, of course, is education in general, because we have to completely redo education to prepare people for a world where the bots are going to do the simple work, right? I mean, the, the machines are going to do the routines. And this is huge for, I mean, think about India, right? Where the routine worker gets, what, $300 a month, doing more or less routine in different ways, like a billion engineers, right? Uh, imagine machines doing that eventually. And, and how? what are we going to do about that, right? So um, there needs to be lots of discussion about human skills that computers will never really beat us in. But they will be those in routines,
1: right? right. Yeah. Okay. The next one is planet. The second P. What do you see? Obviously, we've spoken about uh, um, the whole question of uh, uh, power generation and uh, the changing nature. But what do you think we have to do with and of the planet uh, to 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 meet your optimism?
0: Well, we're going to see a lot of the rules that we that we set up in the last twenty years being broken. To save the planet i mean we're breaking rules now every week uh, in the COVID days and now in the climate change days right uh, kim kim stanley robinson great science fiction writer ksr wrote a book called the uh, the ministry for the future in which he outlines pretty much every step of the way in the next 10 years including what he calls a global carbon coin which would basically be this way if you are an industrialized nation and you're burning too much carbon you have to pay to offset and that money is being given to the other countries not to burn and keep the CO2 in the ground, and it's using a Bitcoin type concept, right? So you can earn coins, and you can, and and this would solve the problem of raising a hundred trillion dollars, you know, which it will cost to solve it. And this is all happening. So I, I think really, climate change, in my view, we're going to make it happen. Uh, I'm very optimistic on this because it's it's the biggest business opportunity, also, you know. Uh, uh, for for any company really (laughs) so the planet I think we're going to get on it, we're late we're going to suffer, but we're not too late in the sense of you know, doomsday five uh, degrees scenario
1: the remaining two Ps, one is purpose and the other is prosperity just give us what you think a purpose uh, should be that we should focus on, and where you think prosperity, new prosperity might be forthcoming
0: yeah, and I think on purpose, the most important discussion is to keep it on the level where everybody would kind of agree, uh, right? I mean, purpose means basically the why question. You know, why do I do this? Why do I work? Why do I exist? And of course, some of those questions are beyond economics, of course, right? But, but keeping purpose basically on a very basic level is human happiness, right? Uh, and human happiness on a very basic level is to not die, and to have rights and to be able to have family and so on, right? Those are the basic things. And I think we have lost track of the purpose discussion because we've boiled it down to a very simple GDP, right? And that says, purpose is to grow, to make money, and to all become Americans, you know, parenthesis, right? Like everybody wants to be like what America was in the fifties, <laughs> you know? And it's just not gonna happen, right? So so widening our thought into the triple, the quadruple bottom line, people plan the profit and uh, purpose and prosperity, right? Leads me to prosperity, very important to think, I don't believe in a non-growth, degrowth society. You know, I think humans want to have kids, we're gonna live longer, we're going to grow, we're going to probably be quite a few more people. So in order for that to happen, we can't say, well, we don't grow, we don't have kids, we don't eat, we don't go outside. That's not very, not a very good paradigm for the future, you know? So I, I think we need to grow sustainably and efficiently and, you know, question bad behaviors. And eventually, of course, in 20, 30 years, we're going to go to other planets also, right? Consider that as an option, right? Right. So, so I, I think to me it's not about degrowth; it's about circular everything. You take out, you got to put back. And we're going to see new rules that's just going to blow our minds. For example, a global global carbon tax on flying. Every time you get in the airplane, you must pay the carbon tax. That's definitely going to come in my view. We're going to see a carbon tax on eating meat. And a lot of that money will be raised. You know, we're going to have to raise. I think McKinsey said hundred fifty trillion dollars to solve the green future problem right and there may there may even be and i would volunteer for this i mean there may be even a a tax like we had in germany when east germany came back you know a a mandatory tax to to make up the difference you know for climate change and i think that's that's going to be a good solution nobody likes taxes but you know if it's going to be about having life yes no the taxes look like a better option.
1: So, good. here's my final question to you, and the question is this. Do you think a simple way of getting people of all ages to understand what the future is going to look like is to simply say, how would you like, or what kind of world would you want your grandchildren to live in? Do you think that kind of sentence is something that leads people into thinking about the various objectives and solutions that you've spoken about in your talk today.
0: Yes, absolutely. I think this is, the key, uh, this, this is the key question and the key paradigm. We should stop asking what will the future bring. You know, that's that puts us into a passive mode. Uh, and this is what we ask in Europe. You know, what are the Americans going to do? What are the Chinese going to do? <laughs> you know, this is not the right question. The right question is what kind of future do I want for me, for my kids, for my grandkids? And then when I define what that is, you know, to, to go about to secure that future, right? To actually be a good ancestor. And, and, the, and I mean, it's in our age in my age, you know, we have actually created about 40% of the entire problem of pollution around the world was created by people my age, right? right? And now we're moving into uh, where our grandkids are going to say, and what the hell were you doing then? You know, <laughs> it's like that. So we got to think about that. And we got to think about that in a wider sense, not just climate change, but on all of those issues, right? And and to create a world also that's positive, because this is the other thing that's really important. We have to start telling a good story about the future, because in the end, you know, reality mirrors the narrative, right? Uh, Buckminster Fuller said, as you see the future, so you act, and as you act, so you become.
1: Well, Gerd, I think that's a wonderful, wonderful closing remark. And I would just like to say a huge thank you to you on behalf of everybody here at this TEDx Gateway. Your wisdom, your insight, your practical experience in understanding what the future is going to bring, where the future is moving, has really been a great guideline for all of us who tuned into this special TEDx Gateway talk. So, Gerd Leonhardt, a warm and rich thank you to you. You've given us some insights into the future and hopefully. We will keep up with you over the next few months. Please do come back and do another talk and tell us whether we are, in fact, making progress. So, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, all of those of you that are watching, my name is Ralph Simon, and I want to thank you all for tuning in to today's session. We'll see you all in our next session of The World Has Changed. And, of course, you can sign up for future webinars on TEDxGateway.com. You can be sure to sign up on that. So, Gerd, we're going to say goodbye to you now in Europe or in Tenerife or wherever you are in Lanzarote. We'd like to say goodbye. And just for those of you that are watching, our upcoming sessions, April 29th, we have Michel Drouin, Can Technology Fix Our Intimacy Famine? That's an interesting one. Can Technology Fix Our Intimacy Famine? On May the 6th, we've got Kaki Okumara, How Can We Find Our Healthy Balance? And on May the 13th, we have Josh Cohen with how fiction can help us to live and grow. So from all of us at Gateway and from Gerd Leonhard. Gerd, say goodbye to your audience. Thank you. Live long and prosper. Thank you very much. And goodbye to you all. This is Gerd Leonhard,
0: futurist. Thanks for listening to my podcast. Check out my videos at gerdtube.com on YouTube.